0: Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. John Winthrop was an English Puritan lawyer and one of the leading figures in founding the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the second major settlement in New England following Plymouth Colony. Winthrop delivered a sermon before he led the first large wave of colonists across the Atlantic Ocean from England in 1630. The sermon is famous largely for its use of the phrase, A City on a Hill, used to describe the expectation that the Massachusetts Bay Colony would shine like an example to the world. He served as governor for 12 of the colony's first 20 years. The Revived Thoughts podcast helps us better understand this titan of history and his famous
1: speech. This sermon was originally titled, A Model of Christian Charity, but it's remembered for the line, A City on a Hill, and so a lot of times it's referenced as the City on the Hill sermon. It was preached in Southampton, England, before the Puritans embarked for Boston. The sermon has a bit of a backstory. It was uh, preached, and it was important when it preached, but it kind
2: of got forgotten. And then the Massachusetts Historical Society published it in the 1800s, but it kind of still lay dormant. And then what really propelled this John Winthrop sermon, and especially this line, City on a Hill, into fame as we know it today as something that America is sometimes called, John F. Kennedy was giving a speech during the Cold War, 1961. He mentions this story of John Winthrop talking about this and calling America a city on a hill. And from there, President Reagan used it as well, and others used it. And it just became one of these political terms that's used a lot. The idea of these people leaving to start a new world, this is the sermon, the last thing they're going to hear before they leave Europe. It's interesting that this is what they chose to put in their head in that moment, because in my mind, it's actually not what I would have expected.
1: Yeah, John Winthrop, who preached this sermon, he was born in 1587. Not much is known about his earlier life. We know that he attended Trinity College for a short time and would study law at Gray's Inn. In the 1620s, he was a lawyer that served in the London courts, and he also has kind of a unique history of wives. It's one
2: of two ways you can read this. This is very sad. This poor guy had just so many wives. Life and marriage used to be pretty different back then. We can't judge too harsh with a modern lens of going back, but he gets married in 1605 to Mary Fourth. They have six children together. She dies in June of 1615. Six months later, in December of 1615, he marries again this woman named Thomasine Clopton, and uh, she dies about a year and a half later or so in 1616. Then in 1618, he marries Margaret Tyndall, and they have six kids together, and they go to the New World together, but she dies in 1647. This would be his longest lasting marriage, that was almost 30 years. Six months later, he marries another widow, but he actually dies before their only son gets born. What caused the death of a lot of these wives? They were sick and there was a disease. How many kids did he have? He had about 12 or 13, but not all of them
1: made it to adulthood. John Winthrop, he was a Puritan who believed that the Church of England was too corrupt by Catholic rituals and that the true church couldn't flourish there in England. He asked the king for a charter to set up a colony, and the king assumed it was just a commercial colony, that he would wanted to go there and set up a commercial colony. But Winthrop was not making his attentions clear that he wanted to set up a religious colony there. Winthrop and the other Puritans wanted to set out and start a new colony that would allow themselves to set apart from the rest of the world. Now, this was not just an ideal idea. They genuinely believed that God was going to punish England for her heresies. The idea of the end times approaching fits that thought process. They get on several boats and they set sail for
2: the new world. They're leaving England behind the heresies. They don't want to deal with it anymore. They're being persecuted this time too. and They think the end of the world is coming. If they stay here, it's going to go poorly for them. Winthrop loses a child on this passage to the New World. And actually, Winthrop, he had two other children, and they also died too. So he was familiar with loss between the many wives that he lost and the children that he also lost. Death was something he suffered a lot of, and I think a lot of these people that did, and yet they set out for this place that they knew was dangerous. They had heard the stories of how it went for the pilgrims and how many of them had died trying to set up a home in this new land, and yet they still looked around and said, better to be out there where I might die, where I might lose my family, where we could all easily not make it, than to stay here and basically just wait for God's wrath. Now, they arrive in Salem, but Salem is too small, and so they kind of spread out through Massachusetts. He'll end up kind of making the capital Boston. They're not the only ones that come. This happened during a time period called the Puritan Migration. From about 1620 to 1640, tens of thousands come over to America as
1: fast as they can. Winthrop became the governor of the Massachusetts colony, and it was the religious colony that they wanted On the one hand, Winthrop ended up being the much less extreme of all the Puritan governors. He executed and banished less people than the others, but it was still something that he did, most famously the banishment of Anne Hutchinson, who was excommunicated after a trial. He calls her the American Jezebel, and some say that she was banished because... She didn't accept the moral laws of the Puritans. Others say that it was because she was preaching and teaching men and challenging the gender roles. Either way, that's definitely something that you wouldn't see get convicted in a modern court.
2: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
0: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this
2: opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be
2: available in all states. Then there is the trouble of race relations. He got along pretty well with Native Americans. Most standards would say that he did, especially for his day. But they did build and take the land of Native Americans. They saw that was not currently under use as free game. And a lot of the Native Americans didn't set up permanent settlements the way that Europeans did, and they would move from one spot to another seasonally. So if you took a lake over and kind of controlled that lake because nobody was there, but those people came in during the winter to fish, you see how this would be a problem and definitely a misunderstanding for sure. And some people would say just stealing it. He also praised God and said God was clearing the land from the heathens when a group of 300 Native Americans got smallpox and dwindled down to 50. But also, the Puritans helped care for, helped those 50 survive, get medicine, and not get sicker. So it's not a completely clear-cut thing. He's a little bit more complex than just one way or the other. Winthrop had a great relationship with one tribe of Native Americans, the Nurgensets, but that seems to be because they allied and tag-teamed with him against the Pequots, and they pretty much wiped them out. After that war, they took the survivors and shipped them to the West Indies, and he kept some of them as slaves, which was legal in Massachusetts at that time. And Not to justify, but that was a pretty solid British way of doing things at that time. So it was definitely a byproduct of that age. This is dark stuff for a governor. It was common practice in those times. But for us today, it's hard to imagine doing things that way 400 years ago.
1: We talk a lot about how rough a lot of those earlier colonial days are. A lot of the people, we're looking at half the population dying in the first couple of years just through droughts and not getting enough food. It's around this time that we see Harvard and many other great institutions that are just in the very beginning. They're just getting set up. And so he enforced this rule that fathers had to make sure that their kids in their homes could read and they had teachers that would teach in the communities that would be publicly funded, which was a brand new concept. But he was very convinced that in order for culture to succeed, it had to be united and brought up in a way that people were unified in their understanding and education or the colony would fail at their goal. There were some, though, that did have issues with Winthrop and the way he ran the colony and the separating eventually start Connecticut due to the issues that they had with Winthrop.
2: You know, going back in time, though, before they left for the New World, they had this idea they were going to build a Puritan colony, they were getting away from English persecution. Winthrop preaches this sermon. It's the last thing you hear as you leave Europe, and the sermon is originally titled Model of Christian Charity. And the sermon really is about using your money to help others. It's kind of a strange bon voyage sermon. And it's not a sermon on hope or safety for travels or vision for the future, although it is a little bit that last one. It's just different. But in a lot of ways, this idea of a charitable Christian nation was the goal. A people who could be charitable with their money, a people who could give from their own pockets, who would serve and go out of their way to extend themselves. That was the kind of people and ideals Winthrop knew they needed to found Massachusetts and to build a Puritan colony, a Christian nation. And I think we could use a lot of these same ideas today if we really want America to be that city on a hill that they dreamed up that at its best America can be. I think we need to learn that charity and love and service that I think has been forgotten over time. The famous line from the sermon that people still talk about today is, quote, a city on a hill. But what was the city on a hill? What was it known for? It's supposed to be known for its love and charity. It was known for being what Paul called us to be, a unified group. It was supposed to be a truly Christian nation. And that was the whole world when they saw it really done the right way. They wouldn't want to emulate that more than anything else about America. And they made a covenant and they pledged themselves to it. They even use this line in there that says, if we stray from this God, then withhold your grace and blessing on us because we chose something false over you. I mean, they're dead serious as they leave for the new world about making this their goal and about glorying God in it. 150 years before the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, the people in America heading out there to start it promised to make a colony that would shine with God's love to the world check out the YouTube
0: version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.